Hey everybody, welcome to the Park Hill Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Evan Wickham, and today is sort of a follow-up on last Sunday's teaching. As promised, we're doing a deep dive into two of the most controversial things in the New Testament. They're some of the most controversial, and it's the gift of speaking in tongues and prophesying. <laughs> so, maybe you're listening to this, and you're like, what, are, what is going on? Well, we are, we are in a in a, in a several-month-long series on the Holy Spirit. Who is He? What does He want to do in the church today? And, and, and one of the biggest, one of the big things, if not the biggest thing He wants to do in the church is reveal the love of Jesus to us um, through the presence and activity of the Spirit, of Himself, His own presence among us. And manifesting His presence looks like these spiritual gifts. And Paul, we listed them on Sunday. We went through 1 Corinthians 12, you know, gifts of uh, word of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and and faith, and healing, and and prophesying, and then and then this thing called speaking in tongues, um, which has understandably confused a lot of people, <laughs> because we don't often speak languages that we don't know, right? I think that kind of goes without saying. It's very hard to speak a language that you've never learned. Um, and yet, the Bible talks about this thing where that happens called the gift of tongues. And it even has stories where people speak languages that they don't know for the sake of the gospel being spread. And, and it's, it's very interesting. And there's other reasons for speaking in tongues too, which we're going to get into. So, so again, this is a deeper dive. You sent in some questions, several of you sent in questions that are actually really great, like, you know, uh, <laughs> I'll just read one of them right now, which is phrased really funny. Um, this one guy, I'll leave him nameless. He says, you know, during Pentecost, the believers were given tongues to proclaim the gospel. The different tongues were real languages at the time, used for real communication. How come I never hear of this happening? Why is it when I do hear someone speaking in tongues, it sounds suspiciously similar to many others' version of tongues? It usually sounds like, quote, Shaka, laka, sha, la, 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 la. <laughs> Excellent quote right there. I tried to read it verbatim. And he goes on, The natural skeptic in me immediately thinks Pentecostals have a severe case of monkey see, monkey do. Or in this case, I heard someone speaking in tongues this way, so I'll speak in tongues this way too. I, and then he, he concludes, I can't help but question the legitimacy of their gifting when I hear the same tonal and syllable pattern repeated endlessly the same way as the guy before them. Very good question stated very reasonably. I, I would have the same question <laughs> So if I was coming into this. So, um, that's what we're going to talk about today. What, what are the gifts of tongues and prophecy? Those are the questions we are responding to today, and we're going to do our best, I'm going to do my best, to respond to them just like Paul does. So, like in chapter 12, he talks about all the spiritual gifts, the, the stuff the Spirit wants to do. He lists, he gives a big list, and then he saves tongues and prophecy for last as if to say, put a pin in that, I'm going to come back to it later. And he does in chapter 14. And so that's why we're coming back today with another episode, a podcast episode right now. So, so here we go. What, what are tongues and prophecy? What are these things that we're supposed to do? as spirit-filled believers? Why do they matter? And, and how do we do them? How can we step into them? Maybe you're listening and you're like, I don't even know if I want to. Well, hopefully you can stick with me for this and we'll answer some of your questions along the way. There's some great stories that were sent into about how these gifts look when they happen. So, you ready for this? 1 Corinthians 14, if, you, you know, if you're driving along, don't get your Bible out and read it. Just keep your hands on the wheel. But if you are see- sitting and you can open a Bible, and you're not driving, open to 1 Corinthians 14 and follow along with me. He, he starts in verse 1. Paul says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And right there, you guys, that line sums it up and gives the balance. It's beautiful. Why do we do this? Because it's the way of love. The gift of tongues and prophecy are the way of love? Yes. We, this is why we do this, so that God's love would be manifest in the church. And remember from last Sunday, um, 
If you're like, why are we talking about spiritual gifts when there's like justice to be done in the world and wars to end and diseases out there to treat and to be healed? And we're talking about like the gift of healing. What about actual doctors? Well, first of all, remember that the Spirit can absolutely use professional doctors in healing, 100%. We don't want to diminish and, 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 and draw the line between the natural and supernatural unnecessarily. God uses and, and equips doctors to do exactly what they're doing all over the world. Um, and, and he manifests supernatural healing. We would call it supernatural or divine healing. So, so why do we want all this? Because we want the love of God to be manifest through healing and, and prophecy and speaking in tongues. And so that is the why. And then he says, you know, eagerly desire this stuff. You should want it especially desire prophecy. And that's the balance right there. So, I love that. Um, the, so, so, I want to say <laughs> there is a clear ranking for Paul. He does rank the gifts at least in order of preference, if not importance. And so, he's like, I, I, I want you to have all the gifts and chase all of them, especially this one called prophecy. Uh, and right away, if you're a listener and you're suspicious of tongues, like that questioner, the shakalaka questioner, <laughs> if you're suspicious of tongues, you might be like, aha, see, Paul says to eagerly desire the greater gifts, which is clearly prophecy, so speaking in tongues doesn't matter as much and I don't need to do it. Not so fast. Not so fast. Yes, Paul says desire the greater gifts, but he also says eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. That's a statement about all of them. Desire all of them. And yes, especially prophecy, but desire all of them. And we're going to see in a couple of verses, he says, I wish every single one of you spoke in tongues. And I'd rather have you prophesy. <laughs> so, it's, it's this balance of both. I think we tend to emphasize one side or the other. It's like, oh, he'd rather us prophesy. I don't have to do it. No, speak in tongues and work administration and healing and look for words of knowledge, all of it. And especially prophecy. <laughs> So, so, one of my favorite words in the English language is the word and. And one, one practice that I'm trying to implement in my life is whenever I want to say but, I say and. Instead of yes, but, I say yes, and. God wants to do this too. Um, so, so, follow the way of love. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, both. Verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Interesting. Moving on, verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. See the difference. Tongues, we're speaking to God. Mysteries. But with prophecies, we're speaking to people, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And then verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Okay, so we're, he's comparing and contrasting tongues and prophecy here. So, let's just define the terms. What are tongues and prophecy? First, the word tongues literally just means languages. That's it, languages. Um, and so, when we talk about this spiritual gift of tongues, basically all, all Christians everywhere, for the most part, agree on this definition. Speaking in tongues is the spirit-empowered ability to pray or praise God in languages unknown to the user. Okay, I'll say it again. Speaking in tongues, the spirit-empowered ability to pray or praise God in languages unknown to the user. Basically, all Christians everywhere agree on that. Um, where the debate comes in is whether tongues is always lingual or if it can also be sub- lingual. In other words, is the gift of tongues always an actual language in some country somewhere? Or can the gift of tongues also be language-like and not really linguistic? And, you know, this touches on the questioner, his question about, you know, shakalaka. <laughs> is that legit or not? Well, here at Park Hill, our leadership has a both-and view. Surprise, surprise, both-and, right? And, and this is probably, if, you know, being honest, this is probably the main view of the global church today. Um, and it's this, the gift of tongues can manifest as an actual language 
And it can also manifest as vocal sounds that are language-like. And this depends on what the Spirit wants to do. Okay? Here's N.T. Wright, one of the leading Christian thinkers alive today, one of the most respected. And he says this, Tongues refers to the gift of speech, which, through making sounds and using apparent or even actual languages, somehow bypasses the speaker's conscious mind. Such speech is experienced as a stream of praise in which, though the speaker may not be able to articulate what's precisely being said, a point to which Paul will draw attention later on, in which a sense of love for God, of adoration and gratitude, wells up and overflows. It is like a private language of love. I love that. It's like a private language of love. So, tongues can refer to actual languages, which we do see happening in Acts chapter 2, uh, to spread the gospel. Totally. Like real languages. A group of people, Jews, who didn't know the languages of the known world, all those languages out there, they start speaking those languages. And people from those countries heard the gospel in their languages and miraculously responded. So, so this does happen. Actually, I, I got two stories from our own church in the last two days about this very thing. Uh, one story was from a girl named Amber, and she, uh, <laughs> she tells this story uh, about visiting Israel. Um, she and a friend visited, I'm reading her text, they visited a house of prayer in Jerusalem. Afterwards, they met up with a group of believers that were interns from different parts of the world, and an older woman who was Norwegian was explaining to them in broken English uh, that she would like them to pray for her country because the youth there are getting into witchcraft, she says. So, pray for my country and the youth uh, getting into paganism. So, 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 they, so, they lay hands on her and they begin praying in tongues. And, you know, it sounds like babbling. But after a minute or two, Amber's friend who's praying in tongues, his language starts switching to the mother tongue of this woman, Norwegian, and she understands everything he's saying. But he didn't know he was speaking perfect Norwegian. And this happened right in front of Amber. So, and Amber's talking to me last Sunday night about this. And, and so, can you imagine, like, you say, in Jesus' name, amen, or whatever. And you finish praying. And this lady's like, thank you for praying for me. And you, thank you for, for praying in my language. And, you're like, and imagine that's you. And you're like, what do you mean? I didn't... What, <laughs> Me? I didn't pray in Norwegian. Yes, you did. You spoke in perfect Norwegian, and, I, and you said this and that. What? Like, what would you... God used me. I think God just manifested the gift of tongues through me. Another story from one of our pastors, Aaliyah. Her sister would um, do uh, evangelistic work in Russia and um, experience, long story short, the very same thing, praying in tongues and out comes Russian, and people in Russia who speak Russian respond to the gospel. So, this absolutely happens. Um, actual languages, by the power of the Spirit, unknown to the speaker, for the sake of the hearer. So, that does happen. Um, and tongues can also be language-like, sublingual. Not really language, but language-like. Like N.T. Wright says, apparent languages experienced as a stream of praise, adoration, and love for God. Or in Paul's words, uttering mysteries by the Spirit. And maybe, just pause, maybe you're listening to this, you're like, why on earth would I want to do that? That's, that feels freaky to me, maybe you're thinking. Totally understandable. Well, here's, here's why for Paul. Speaking in tongues builds up your spirit through intimacy with God. Maybe you're like, but how? How does speaking in tongues build up my spirit? Well, Paul's reason, the one who speaks in tongues speaks to God, quote. It's like you're tuned into heaven or God's space. Maybe you're like, but, but can't I talk to God without talking in tongues? Of course you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Any language. Of course you can talk to God without speaking in tongues. But here, here's a question. Do you always know everything you need to talk to God about? 
Do you always know what's deep inside? Are there times when you're seeking his face or longing for his presence and you're not sure what to say, but you know, you know you're in trouble or you're just in a season of dry loneliness and you need to open yourself more fully to experiencing God's presence and say, Lord, what do you need to show me? What do you need to show me more of? Speaking in tongues is primarily a prayer language where you humble yourself and open your soul to God and the Holy Spirit pours out the love of the Father into your heart. That's a Romans 5 thing. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of the Father. And tongues is saying, God, do it. That's the delight of tongues. The delight of tongues. So, okay, Evan, how do I do it? And maybe you're like, how, how do I practically speak in tongues? Is it something that has to like happen to me, like has to zap me? Like I'm praying to speak in tongues, it's just not happening, so do I have to wait for it to happen? Like I'm a tree in a forest and I have to wait to be struck by lightning? No, that is not, <laughs> that is not how. Um, standing still like a tree isn't a bad thing, and it's not, nothing wrong with that, no shame in standing still like a tree, but here's a better way. Eagerly desire it. In other words, strive for it. That's that word in Greek. To eagerly desire is to be an active participant in getting it. Actively pursue speaking in tongues. And you're like, but how do, what does that look like? How do I eagerly desire if it's not just standing still and waiting? I've been praying and it hasn't happened. No, no. What does it look like to step into it? It can be really simple. Here's four things that I've personally found helpful. I got these... Uh, you know, from the pastoral community up in Portland that I was a part of with my wife for, you know, four plus years. And, and it's just four things. Number one, pray. Number two, create space. Number three, step out. And number four, practice. Those four things. Um, and we can actually put any of the spiritual gifts through those four things. So, let's do this with tongues. Number one, pray. Ask God, God, I would love to pray in the Spirit. Please be with me and empower me as I seek to utter mysteries and pray in the Spirit. And God might say yes, or He might say no, and that's okay. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're not spiritual. It doesn't mean you're immature, not at all. I know people who have asked God to speak in tongues, and they still just, it never happened. They've never done it. And I know people who, who, who didn't ask and it was kind of like they were a tree standing in a field and the Spirit moved them to pray or to sing in tongues. And basically the Spirit does what He wants when He wants for the sake of love. So just start with prayer like a child humbly before your loving Father and ask. Ask. So number one, pray. Number two, create space. Get alone, get outside, get in a closet, go for a long walk, uh, set time aside for God, set time aside for God to do work in you. Um, and, and then number three, step out. So, so you've prayed, you've created space, now step out. Speak a word. Babble a phrase. When I speak in tongues, yes, I speak in tongues. When I speak in tongues, it feels like baby talk. That's it. A syllable, a phrase, two, three, quote-unquote, words. Um, in faith, in trust, knowing your God smiles and loves your childlike boldness in His presence. And just release control of how you think you should sound. And how you think you should come across to God. And it's raw trust. And then number four, practice. So pray, create space, step out, and then practice it just like learning a language. Do it again tomorrow. And do it again tomorrow morning. Do it again when you're driving in your car or just going about your day with the eyes of your heart turned to Jesus. Maybe even physically lifting your eyes to the sky. Like look at the horizon, the horizon line as you're walking, and, and then move your eyes above that into the sky and just say, God, I look to you, just like the ancient psalmist I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from you, God. Receive my voice right now. Maybe you're lifting your eyes or maybe you're kneeling in God's presence in your bedroom to, just to show your soul, to teach your soul through your body that God is God and you are not God and He's good. 
and then simply speak your heart. Speak your heart. So there it is. Pray, create space, step out, and keep doing it. Practicing, practicing. Those are just four things I found helpful. Nothing fancy. Just basic advice on how to chase after the gifts. You can do that with the private prayer language of tongues or healings or (laughs) words of knowledge, words of wisdom with other people. Just humbly uh, put yourself before God and open to Him and trust. That is the delight of tongues. That's the delight of tongues. But right away, in the text, there's my dog. Perfect transition, Lulu the dog. So, but right away, as you're listening to this, Paul, Paul basically says that private delight of tongues, that private delight can become a public problem. When private wealth is displayed, let's say you show off, you know, a giant golden necklace. When private wealth is displayed but not shared, that's not delightful to people. That's just showing off, right? So when we gather as a church, Paul suggests something better than tongues for other people's sakes. He, he says in 1 Corinthians 14.5, continuing on in the text, he says, I, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but, there's, he does say but there, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified, okay? So, this is about the public setting, not the private prayer time. In the public setting, I'd rather have you prophesy. He's like, yes, tongues is great, and I want all of you to chase it, but when you are together, I would rather you prophesy. So, what is this thing called prophecy? Isn't prophecy like a gift that only prophets do? Like, I think of, you know, I know he's not a prophet, but he's a wizard, Gandalf. I think for some reason of the wizard, like, man, I don't have the, I don't have the Lord of the Rings powers. I don't know the future or whatever. Isn't prophecy a gift that only prophets do? Yes and no. The New Testament talks about prophecy at least two different ways, okay? There are prophets. First of all, there are prophets in the sense of people with a unique prophetic role in the church. Ephesians 4.11, talks, he says, it's, Paul says, Christ himself gives prophets to equip the rest of the church to love well. In Romans 12, Paul says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. So, in the New Testament, there is like a gifted prophet type person in the church today, someone who's called to uniquely function that way for the church. These people, you know, we see them today. They're soaked in the Bible. They love the scriptures. They maybe have a a speaking gift, and they just have a way of pushing the church toward Jesus and warning the church when we're missing Jesus. And these people listen to the Spirit and speak hopefully in humility, in submission to the scriptures. And right away, I, I just, elephant in the room, I totally get the word prophet can be triggering. We do not like that word. I, I actually don't totally dig that word um, for myself, uh, maybe because of the goofy stuff I've seen on TV, or maybe a weird personal experience with people claiming to speak for God and just crushing my soul with condemnation. Um, yeah, you know, if, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I want you to listen to me, Evan, I am a prophet, right away I'm like, sit down, be humble. I, I turn into Kendrick Lamar, I'm like, no, sit down, be humble. You're done. Don't, don't talk to me like that. <laughs> Someone says, thus says the Lord for you, Evan, and then they start speaking. I'm like, nope. But here's the reality. In spite of all our triggers, which are understandable, 100%, here's the reality. We, we do have prophets today in the New Testament sense. We just don't like to call them by that name, right? Uh, some American examples. Think of people, you know, from the last generation, like A.W. Tozer from the early 1900s, who would call people to holiness and to love the presence of God. Or for current examples, maybe, you know, Beth Moore, who's calling the American church to account for its misogyny and racism to the point where she's actually moving away from her previous denomination and stepping into an ancient Anglican tradition just to say no. Uh, we need to be like Jesus. Or think, I mean, one guy, love him or hate him, Francis Chan has all the markings of a New Testament type prophet who is calling the church of Jesus to unify around the bread and cup and around the Lord Jesus Christ 
and to revere the Bible as the uniquely, infallibly revealed Word of God for our hearts today. And he calls the church all over the world to be clean before the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a prophetic thing. Um, it's these people who, who just have this burning message from the Spirit to call the church back to justice and righteousness. I think someone who spoke at Park Hill um, early this year, J.T. Thomas, president and founder of Civil Righteousness. He is a prophet, for, totally prophet for this moment in time to call the church to deep gospel racial reconciliation and unity. Um, so, these are prophets in the Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 sense of like the role or gift of a prophet. Um, so, that's one sense of prophet. But here in 1 Corinthians 14, it seems to me Paul's talking about something different. Not just the role of a prophet, but the spiritual practice of prophesying that's open to everyone who's a child of God, as the Holy Spirit wills. So that's you and me, God can use to prophesy at any moment. So why do I think this is the case? Well, because Paul's writing this letter to the whole church, men, women, and children. And he says, follow the way of love. All of you eagerly desire the Holy Spirit stuff, especially prophecy. So Paul singles out prophecy over all the other manifestations of the Spirit. And he says, hey, everyone, shoot for prophecy. When you're all together, everyone should be shooting for prophecy. Do it. Build up the church in love. Okay, so what does it look like when we prophesy? ESV Study Bible has a good de definition of, of prophecy in this way. Um, it says, the word prophecy, as used by Paul in 1 Corinthians, refers generally to speech that reports something that God spontaneously brings to mind or reveals to the speaker, but which is spoken in merely human words, not words of God. I think that's so helpful. Rewind that, listen to that definition again if you want. So helpful because it puts human words of prophecy below words of God in Scripture while still affirming that prophecy can come from God. Very interesting and very helpful. I really appreciate this definition from Greg Haslam. He was the pastor of the well-known Westminster Chapel in London. Haslam writes, Prophecy is a phenomenon that results directly from the access the Holy Spirit has to our minds, whereby He can create pictures in our imagination and supernatural dreams while we're asleep. He can put words, ideas, or scriptures into our heads with such force that we know that there is something weighty and unforgettable going on, something that carries with it the responsibility to pass on and relay what the Holy Spirit has communicated. I love that. We have a responsibility to prophesy, brothers and sisters. And prophecy is when God's Spirit sets up shop inside of you and implants in your mind scriptures. Like, you know, 50 to 75% of the time with me, it's a Bible verse or strong impressions for someone or specific encouragement for that person, or clear visions, or pictures, or thoughts during times of prayer, mixed with words, or knowledge, or wisdom, or whatever else. And God gives that to us and calls us to run it through the grid of the Bible and relay that prophecy in our own words and in full humility that I could be totally off with this word, and that's okay because this is the way of love. And it's all for strengthening and building up the church. So, we've defined speaking in tongues and prophecy. There's the definitions, you guys. And Paul commands us to crave both of them. Practice them. Keep practice. Keep trying. Keep doing it. Why? Because tongues will enrich you personally, and prophecy will enrich the whole community. Tongues restores your inside world. Prophecy restores your outside world. I love that. Tongues restores you. Prophecy restores others. So, for the sake of love, you guys chase them both. But when we're together, prophecy's better. <laughs> prophecy's better for the group. So, why is prophecy better than tongues for the church? If you didn't get it already, here's, here's the reason. Why is prophecy better than tongues for the church when you're all together in a group? Simple reason. I can't understand your tongues. 
I can't understand your uh, non-linguistic gift. Um, And this is what Paul says in verse 6. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet doesn't sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. This is great from Paul. He's brilliant here. And uh, he uses a music analogy, which I'm, I'm a fan of, fan of music. So I have my keyboard here. You can hear it, I think. There it is. I'm going to use my keyboard here in my studio to, to, you know, work out Paul's music analogy to illustrate how bizarre speaking in tongues can sound to people trying to listen to you. So let's try it. Let's try, no, not, we're not going to try speaking in tongues. We're going to try the music analogy. (laughs) So no worry. I'm not going to speak in tongues on this podcast. Um, So here it is. He's talking about language and he's using music as a metaphor for language. In order to recognize noise as music, it needs a pattern that is recognizable. It needs a rhythm, a beat, a melody, a harmony. So, what song is this? See if you can name the song. Are you ready? Can you name the tune? No, you can't name the tune. Um, Why not? Because I was playing in tongues. Okay, you get it. <laughs> this, this is what speaking in tongues feels like to other people, somewhere in between embarrassing and bizarre, right? In, or in Paul's words, speaking to the air, right? Now, by contrast, here's what your prophecy feels like to other people. Yeah, so you can at least recognize that there is um, harmony and there's a chord progression and there's a high note melody. You don't have to be a musician to know that that, that could be a song. Where the previous one, it was, there's no way that could be a song, right? Um, so that, the, the beautiful music with recognizable notes, and that's what your humble, spirit-led prophecy feels like to other people. God wants to bring together clear, loving words to lift someone else's soul right here at Park Hill Church. This is what Paul wants to use. He wants us to chase after this. He wants us to pursue it together. So, keep reading. Verse 12, he says, Since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in the ones that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. That's Paul's code for speaking tongues. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who's now put in the position of inquirer, say, amen. How can anyone agree with your thanksgiving if you're speaking in tongues since they do not know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. (laughs) He's like, that's really great for your gratitude quotient, but no one else is on board when you're speaking in tongues. So, you guys get the picture, right? So, the goal for whenever we're together is the Spirit wants us to to think outside of ourselves and our own desires, our own personal growth or whatever, and to switch us uh, out of getting mode into giving mode. So I'm not here to get, I'm here to give primarily. I'm not here to consume, I'm here to contribute. 
This is the movement of God. Unfortunately, like the American church is set up for consumers. How is... Uh, how does the kids' ministry, how, how does the worship sound to me? Is the teaching, is this? I'm sitting there. How's my experience of the message and the medium? But the New Testament picture switched, you guys. Why do we go to church? Not to consume songs and sermons and religious goods and services, but to give, to contribute, and to speak into someone else's life. According to Jesus and Paul, the reason why we gather as a church is because my ultimate priority is not me, it's you. And your priority for gathering as a church is not you and your personal growth, it's hers in the row next to you. It's his sitting directly in front of you. And it's whatever part God has you to play in their growth process, in their growth process. What if this was our mindset whenever we gathered? Like, Sunday morning, how might God use me to speak freedom into someone else's life at Park Hill Church on a Sunday? Can you imagine if we all showed up like that? Like, hundreds of people right there in Building 177 every Sunday with the same priority, and that is to speak comfort and encouragement over the life of someone else. What if you came into your community night ready with a word for someone. Like I've been praying all week for community night and, and here it comes. Tonight's the night. Lord, who do you want me to give this word to? I'm ready. Even if you're not sure who the person is, you bring that prophecy to your community and as you're listening to the Spirit, boom, here's the window. An opportunity opens up and you speak to that person humbly and with kindness and submitted to your leader. Like, I don't know, I just sense that this is for you. What do you think, fam? And yes, I said fam, because that's how I come to community night. So this will absolutely continue happening on our Seek First Sundays. How are we coming to each other with a word, with a, with a gift to bring? Hope, I hope all of you can commit to coming to a Seek First Sunday with this mindset. Um, let's crave this, you guys. Let's eagerly desire to speak the love of God into one another's lives and Paul continues, verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's, he's not shy about his gift, right? I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And here's his reason. In verse 22, he says, because uh, his reason, he's, he's saying, I'd rather do prophecy than tongues. Here's the reason. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and seekers or inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone's prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. That's what I want to see at Park Hill. That's what I want to see in the church all over the place. This is Paul's point. When we practice prophecy as a church in a spirit of love, it can have a profound effect on people outside the church looking in and longing to belong. Why? Because our culture is cutthroat, you guys. I mean, I'm not saying anything you guys don't already know. People are hostile. <laughs> They're hostile about everything right now. You know? It's wild. So imagine you're not a Christian, or you're sort of curious about faith or Jesus, and you're visiting this church, and you hear people just affirming one another. You, you see people actively pursuing each other, not to get stuff, but to give prophecy, encouragement, comfort, love. And, and you hear this, you see this community, and people are just unfiltered encouragement for each other. Uh, and how would that affect you if you came into a community like that? You know, I recently heard this phrase, affirmation is the language of the secure. What if Park Hill Church was so secure that affirmation was our primary language? That we just came without a hint of sarcasm with a word for one another, affirming our loved identity, without flinching, without hesitating. 
Affirmation is the language of the secure. How would, how would that affect you to see a community like that? Well, Paul's like, I'll tell you what, that unbeliever who's witnessing that community, they're going to come in Well, everyone is drenched in love and their heart will break open. They'll confess their sin. They'll admit their need. They're like, I want to be part of this family and they'll fall down and worship God and be like, God is here. This is what God is like. This is what God talks like, what he looks like, what he sounds like. This is what I'm longing for. And you know what that's called, you guys? Revival. How many of you want to see that happen? If you want to see that happen in our time, let's eagerly desire prophecy. Let's do this stuff, you guys. That's why Paul says in verse 26, he says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you, each of you, how many of you? Each of you has a hymn or a word or instruction, a revelation, tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done. Question, how much must be done? Everything must be done. Why? Quote, so that the church may be built up. You guys, this is the vision that Jesus and Paul have for the church. A community where everyone pitches in, everyone participates, everyone rolls up their sleeves. And yes, for sure, there needs to be leaders. You know, people who study a lot so they don't say too much dumb stuff when they teach, and people who put in hours to care and provide counseling for people's souls. Absolutely, there needs to be church leaders. But Paul's point is that when the church gathers, we do not gather as consumers, but as family, as brothers and sisters who live out the story of God's love. And and here's what this can look like with tongues and prophecy. Here it is. Final part of the text. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets. We do this in community. No one prophesies as an isolated prophet. And finally, the verse, last verse, For God is not a God of order, sorry, of disorder. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So Paul says, two or at the most three people can speak in tongues when we're together, as long as there is and interpretation. And so, we should practice prophecy too, submitted to scripture and community of leaders in a context of trust. So, that's kind of the checks and balances. If you're going to speak in tongues in the public setting, make sure there's interpretation. question is, how do you know if there's an interpretation? That is, again, what it, yeah, you need to be in a context of trust. And the leaders need to know kind of what they're doing, uh, which is what we strive for at Park Hill Church. And so I've seen tongues and prophecy, I've seen them happen in larger prayer gatherings. It can be beautiful. It can be empowering. But so here at Park Hill, uh, our leadership doesn't think the Sunday morning front of the house microphone is the best or most effective place for everyone to practice all of the gifts at once. <laughs> you know, speaking in tongues and prophesying, everyone from the front, from the microphone. And part of the reason is just practicality. 500 people plus one mic is a recipe for all kinds of weird stuff to happen. Trust me. But the main reason we don't think the Sunday gathering is the best place, per se, is because, well, what other venues do we have at Park Hill for people to do life together and participate together? What other venue other than Sunday? Yeah, communities. Community groups. You come together safely at, you know, Bob's house or Sharon's house or, you know, whoever, whatever community group or, or at a coffee shop or you bring a scripture and a vision God put on your heart, a word of encouragement. It's like, hey, here's something I'm learning about the scriptures or here's something I, I sense God spoke to me three days ago and maybe it's for this moment with you guys. And you walk into your community, not as a consumer, but you have something to give. And we also do this right right here in our Sunday morning gathering during our response time when we break up in groups or we invite people to pray for each other. Listen, that's your chance on Sunday. You look around the room, maybe during communion, and you say, hey, can I, 
can I pray for you? My name's so-and-so. He might be like, maybe you're like, I don't know anyone at Park Hill. I can't just pray or prophesy over someone I don't know. Well, first off, there's only one way to fix that. You meet them. (laughs) You meet people. And then at the right time, you ask if you can pray for them. And then secondly, let's fight the impulse to see ourselves as a crowd. We are a church. We're not a crowd. We're a church. The family of the Spirit. And, and Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he envisions a family that embraces the prophetic, embraces the speaking voice of God. And when that happens, that shapes churches into the kind of places where people walk into our gathering and they say, God is truly here. Okay? So, so this, is, this, is, this is Paul speaking to tongues and prophecy, and he sums it all up in verses 39 and 40. He says, Therefore... My brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything. Do it all. And do it all in a fitting and orderly way. So, final, final thing here. Uh, yeah, if, if you have your Bible open, you know we skipped a couple verses where Paul says stuff to women in the church. That's a whole other conversation. If you have any questions about that, feel free to email in. Um, but, I, but I'm just, tongues and prophecy, last thing I'll say, let's chase after this. Remember the four things. Pray, create space, step out, practice it. You have to practice both, all of the gifts of the Spirit. And, um, you know, there's that last line, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. I used to read that growing up in church, you know, all things must be done decently and in order. <laughs> and, and let's be honest, like, I don't think that's a problem for us. <laughs> like the decently in order, like at Park Hill Church, do you think we're just wild and like jumping off of the rafters and swinging from the lights and running around barking like dogs and we're just threatening to you know one one Sunday someone did use someone did wave a flag <laughs> I don't know if you were at Park Hill back in you know the 2018 2019 I think it was 2018 S- someone was I, lo- I I thought it was awesome it was very very different uh for our culture but someone brought one of those flags and they started up in the front, like on, like very close to the musicians, this girl, she brings out the flag and just starts twirling. And, and, uh, you know, not, not a lot of Park Hill folks are used to, you know, the Pentecostal flag twirling worship thing. Uh, I, I think there's a place for that and it can be beautiful, especially if you're not used to it. It can humble you and crush, it can actually crush a part of you that needs to be crushed and it can crush your arrogance to be obedient and do something outlandish like that. Um, but it has to be pastored. <laughs> it has to be, it ha- you, have, you need a pastor who can like shepherd the whole church into that. And this girl just went for it. And we, we just had to, you know, respectfully let her know that, you know, if she wants to twirl that, she can do it like outside. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, like 99.9% of the time, we don't have a problem with doing things in order. I think Park Hill Church is a very we're very orderly we sit in our rows we all stand we look ahead sometimes we raise our hands we sing beautifully it's beautiful to hear our voices but i don't think we have a problem of like tap dancing too much or like you know shouting too much or saying amen sometimes the preachers at park hill you know are like hey can i get an amen can i get something um we don't have a problem being in order we love order um I think we have the opposite problem. I think we need to hear more what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't tune out the Spirit. We're like, yeah, but the Spirit isn't in my iCal. He's not in my agenda. He's not in my row. I just feel like standing and sitting. Or, <laughs> you know, we love, we love the order. The Spirit's not in my order today. He's not in my agenda. No, stop and listen. What if God broke in? Like, what if we asked for God to move? Holy Spirit, come, and He began moving in surprising ways. What if He did move? I don't know if we'd know what to do if He did. 
Like, what if God broke in? What would it look like to live like that? What if I asked you, do you believe God speaks? What would you say? What if I said, do you believe God is able by the Spirit at times, not always, but by the Spirit at times to put stuff into your mind? Do you believe that He does that? What would you say? What if I said, there are times, not always, but sometimes, there are times when God wants you to take those thoughts, those scriptures, those visions, words, and phrases, and go talk to somebody in humility and love and share it with them and talk it out prophetically. What would you say to that? Do you believe in that? That is what the New Testament calls prophecy. And under that loaded term, prophecy is a really beautiful reality. We worship a God who speaks. Do you believe that? If you answer yes, then I ask you, are you listening? Are you listening to the God who speaks? And are you willing to take his words forward into the lives of other people? So church, that's where I want to leave you. Um, Speaking in tongues is a gift. We speak to God and he enriches our souls. Practice it. Don't wait for it. Practice it. Same thing with prophecy. It's a gift God gives to enlarge the souls of others through us practice it. Don't wait to practice it. Come ready. Come equipped for the sake of God's glory in the church. So there it is, uh, church. um, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he lift up your, your soul as you learn to hear his voice in the quiet place. May he visit you as you cry out to him in the spirit and as you speak prophetically to other people. So, church, may you have a blessed Sabbath month resting with your loved ones, your family, and your communities. And uh, yeah, my wife and I are going on vacation starting this Wednesday, um, and we will see you at the end of the month. In the meantime, you have some incredible voices from within our church that will be preaching on the Holy Spirit all through July. I'm jealous. I'm jealous, actually, of everything you'll be experiencing together. Um, So, have an amazing month. In Jesus' name, peace.